0: Welcome to another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot. She called us to live to a higher standard each day, not just satisfied with a little religion in our lives. What a shallow substitute for what God wants for us. As this uh, series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others who are influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. Today we continue our extended series about Jim Elliott and Operation Alca, and other events during Elizabeth's time in Ecuador. We have two Gateway to Joy programs, as we normally do. The first one is Simply Called Heaven, and then later on, Things Lost or Wasted. Today we're featuring three guests, but one of those is Elizabeth herself. Consider her thoughts about her heavenly reward. We'll hear from her son-in-law, Walt Shepard, and about how Elizabeth knew how to have fun about movies. Stay tuned for that. Also, Johnny Erickson Tata will have some thoughts on hymns, the gospel, and the passing of Elizabeth Elliot. Well, as I say, the first of our Gateway to Joy programs is on the subject of heaven. These two programs were originally aired in March of 1989.
1: You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend Elizabeth Elliott talking with you this time about heaven. Why is there so little revealed about heaven in the Bible? I think one reason why so little has been revealed is because it would be too exciting. Another reason, I'm sure, is because we are all going to be changed. The Bible says we shall all be changed. We'll have to be fitted for immortality. In 1 Corinthians 15:51, Paul writes this. Listen, and I will tell you a secret. We shall not all die, but suddenly in the twinkling of an eye, every one of us will be changed as the last trumpet sounds. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead shall be raised beyond the reach of corruption, and we shall be changed. For this perishable nature of ours must be wrapped in imperishability. These bodies, which are mortal, must be wrapped in immortality. So when the perishable is lost in the imperishable, the mortal lost in the immortal, this scripture will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. Where now, O death, is your victory? Where now is your stinging power? It is sin which gives death its sting, and it is the law which gives sin its power. All thanks to God, then, who gives us the victory over these things through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, brothers of mine, stand firm. Let nothing move you as you busy yourselves in the Lord's work. Be sure that nothing you do for him is ever lost or wasted. Isn't that a terrific word, that last sentence? Be sure that nothing you do for him is ever lost or wasted. Because it's not over here. Because this is never the end of God's story. He has a whole lot of things stored up for us there in heaven. But if we were not changed, then the joys of heaven would not be joys to us as we are now. If we went to heaven just as we are now, we wouldn't be ready. Any more than the pleasures that a man enjoys, such as work, study, would excite a child. A little child cannot imagine how a person finds joy in adult work. I do think the children find joy in the kind of work that can be given to a child to do. I see my grandchildren finding joy in that, but they can't imagine the joy that their father can know as he pastors a church, or the joy that their grandmother can know as she writes a book, for example, or works in the kitchen. Study is certainly not a pleasure that a child would understand, but most of us do understand what a pleasure it can be. We're not yet ready to understand the joys of heaven. The joys of perfect love would not be joys to the loveless. Only one who loves understands the joys of love. Love's greatest joy is surrender and adoration. We don't hear a whole lot about those two words today, do we? Surrender and adoration. The joy of lovelessness is the keeping of itself, not surrendering, not adoring an object outside of itself. So, We have to remember, when we think of heaven, that we're headed for a different kind of kingdom. If we saw it now, we'd be calling for rocks and hills to hide us. It would look so formidable. But we will be fitted for it by the grace of God. Here's a little story written by Alan Clark that I came across years ago. Because last Monday was All Saints Day, he writes... I recall the letter which John Todd wrote to his aged aunt, who had let him know that she was very sick, perhaps unto death, and was a bit troubled about it. To this faithful Christian soul, he wrote, You remember that it is thirty-five years since my father died and left me, a little boy six years old, without a mother or a home, with nobody to care for me. Then you sent word that you would give me a home and be a mother to me. At length, the day was set when I was to go to you ten miles off. What a long journey it seemed to me, and how disappointed I was that instead of coming for me yourself, you sent old Caesar. How my heart sank when I was told I was to ride on the horse behind him. But he told me, Kate is gentle to little boys, and that you said I might bring my little dog with me. Before we got to your house, I began to feel tired. My legs ached and I was tired of taking hold of Caesar. Then the darkness came on and I felt afraid. Then we had a long piece of woods to go through. I had heard of bears and tigers and Indians and wondered how many might be in the woods. Caesar, ain't we almost there, I asked in terror. Yes, when we get through these woods, we shall see the light of the house. Won't they be gone to bed? Oh, no, they'll be all ready for us. "'But I trembled, and the tears ran down my face, "'and I wondered why I could not have somebody with me besides Caesar. "'But at last, after winding and turning "'and going uphill and downhill a long, long way, "'we came out of the woods, and the stars shone, "'and I was told which light was in your house. "'And when we got there, you came out "'and took me in your arms and gently led me in. "'And there was the blazing fire, the bright light, "'and the table spread.' and supper ready for me. And that was my home. My eyes fill with tears as I think of it. How you soothed me and warmed me and heard me say my prayers and stayed with me till I was fast asleep. Now you see why I have recalled this to your memory. Your Heavenly Father will send for you, a dark messenger it may be. He will carry you safely through the darkness of the way. He will not drop you nor leave you, for he is a faithful servant. There the door will open, and your dearest friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, will meet you and take you in, and supper will be waiting, and the fires of love burning, and the light and glory of his presence seen. What a welcome you will receive. My prayers will be with you till you are out of sight, and then I shall look forward to meeting you again ever yours most faithfully, John Todd. The Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in Thessalonica and says this, We don't want you, my brothers, to be in any doubt about those who fall asleep in death or to grieve over them like the rest of men who have no hope. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then we can believe that God will just as surely bring with Jesus all who are asleep in him. Here we have a definite message from the Lord. That's the end of the quotation from 1 Thessalonians 4. It's not wrong to grieve. It's a very different kind of grieving, however, that we Christians know. It's a grieving that has no bitterness in it because we know that God is in charge. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we share his life. So go on cheering and strengthening one another with thoughts like these. Those are Paul's words from the fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Cheering and strengthening words. And then I thought maybe you'd like to hear this little poem that was written by Nina B. Rockefeller and was sent to me when my first husband died, sent by another Missionary Widow, Pat Schulert from Cartagena, Colombia. I went up to your room to get some little thing, and there it overtook me, all the grief I'd tried so hard to keep submerged. I'd kept my courage up, been brave and even smiling. Now, in the midst of all these dear reminding things, that courage drained away. It was pretense. This was reality. Nothing in me was beautiful or brave. I know not when it was he slipped into the room and took my hand in his. Perhaps he'd been there all the time, and I had been too occupied with striving to be brave to sense his nearness. He said, "'Let not your heart be troubled. "'I'm always here.' I leaned my head against his breast. Slowly his peace filled all my anguished soul. His was the courage, his the joy, and they were mine for just the taking.' He filled my every need. I longed for no one else, not even you, with his hand clasped in mine. And then, oh sweet surprise, oh gift of love divine, he let me see his other hand. And there you were, your hand held fast in his. You, I, and he, held close together by those pierced hands, enfolded, wrapped within that wondrous love he smiled had you forgotten nothing can pluck my own from out my grasp oh may i ever keep you close by keeping close to him
0: gateway to joy 117 simply entitled heaven elizabeth had more to say about her heavenly reward this is from a program called under his training i don't think
1: that I am going to be rewarded when I get to heaven for the books I've written or the talks I've given nearly so much as for the hidden faithfulness. And that, of course, is what I need your prayers for, that God will make me the kind of woman that I aim at, the kind of woman I talk about, but a woman like Mary, as this passage says, one who put herself without reservation of any kind, at the disposal of God himself.
0: Elizabeth said that on a different Gateway to Joy program about under his training and her heavenly reward. Before we get to our second Gateway to Joy program called Things Lost or Wasted, Walt Shepard, Elizabeth's son-in-law, has about two and a half minutes, some thoughts about movies, about how Elizabeth knew how to have fun, and comments about heaven.
2: She had her women friends, not just Lilia Trotter and Amy Carmichael and Gladys Aylward, but some great ladies who used to meet for coffee over at Jody Gross's house. And they had a lot of fun together. She came home one afternoon and she says, I want you to take me to a movie. And I said, Which movie? She said, It's uh, a movie called The Longest Yard. I said, ma'am, that's a Burt Reynolds movie. She says, that's all the girls are talking about, I want you to take me there. (laughs) Well, that was a football movie and she didn't know anything about football and I was having to explain the whole movie to her and people were shushing us and one time I forgot myself and I said, do you realize you're shushing the great Elizabeth Elliot? (laughs) And she said, Walt, what do you think you're doing? That was. A rather favorite expression of hers. A lot of times. (laughs) That lady could have fun. She's having real fun now, I guarantee you. But I'll tell you something. I'm the luckiest guy, as lucky as a Calvinist can get, (laughs) to have a mother-in-law in my corner. To have someone like she loving my wife, loving my kids with just as much fierceness as that lady was capable of. I thank God for her. I thank God for an inviolable union between mother and daughter. Yet God is blessed so, so tremendously. But I'll tell you, if she were here right now, she'd do this in almost the characteristic manner of a wide receiver just crossing the touchdown zone with the ball and only one second left on the clock. She'd point there. Hallelujah. That's Our Lady.
0: Elizabeth's son-in-law, Walt Shepard. Well, as I mentioned, our second Gateway to Joy program is just ahead. It's called Things Lost or Wasted.
1: You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliott, talking with you this time about things lost or wasted. We've been talking for the past few days about losing people you love, about ways in which God can help us through this period of grieving when our hearts are broken and we feel as if our hands have been emptied and the house is very quiet. There's a beautiful prayer which says this, We seem to give them back to thee, O God, who gavest them to us. Yet as thou didst not lose them in giving, so do we not lose them by their return." Not as the world giveth, givest thou, O lover of souls. What thou givest, thou takest not away, for what is thine is ours also, if we are thine. And life is eternal, and love is immortal. And death is only a a horizon, and horizon is nothing save the limit of our sight. Lift us up, strong Son of God, that we may see further. Cleanse our eyes, that we may see more clearly. Draw us closer to thyself that we may know ourselves to be nearer to our loved ones who are with thee. And while thou dost prepare a place for us, prepare us also for that happy place, that where thou art, we may be also forevermore. The writer of this prayer recognizes the need of our being prepared for the place that God is preparing for us, and every experience in life is a part of that preparation. It doesn't always look like it, does it? But as I keep saying, every experience can be your gateway to joy. It just so happens that the day that I was preparing this talk was a very chilly, drizzly, moving-toward-winter day last fall. The sea was gray and lumpy, and it seemed like a very lumpy day to me. I was trying to move methodically through the things which I needed to do, I felt as though hardly anything was accomplished, even though I felt very busy all day. One of those days when I felt no inspiration, I felt as the disciples must have felt when they were toiling and rowing in a storm and darkness. My situation, of course, was not nearly so terrifying as theirs, but I did feel the need of help. So I wanted to read you this little story that I read to myself then, Mark. 6. Jesus made his disciples get aboard the boat and go on ahead to Bethsaida on the other side of the lake while he himself sent the crowds home. The crowds were those whom he had fed over 5,000 people whom he had fed with the five loaves and two fishes. And when he had sent them all on their way, he went off to the hillside to pray. When it grew late, the boat was in the middle of the lake, And he was by himself on land. He saw them straining at the oars, for the wind was dead against them. And in the small hours he went towards them, walking on the waters of the lake, intending to come alongside. But when they saw him walking on the water, they thought he was a ghost and screamed out, for they all saw him and they were absolutely terrified. But Jesus at once spoke quietly to them, It's all right, it is I myself don't be afraid. And he climbed aboard the boat with them and the wind dropped. But they were scared out of their wits. I can't help being a little bit amused by this when you realize that these are the same disciples that were up there on the mountain with Jesus this same day. They had seen him perform the miracle of the loaves and fishes and feed all those people. You may remember that The disciples were very distressed at the thought of what they were going to do with this crowd. Here it was getting on toward evening and they didn't have anything to eat and they were asking Jesus what he was going to do and then they had seen his power in feeding all of them. Aren't we incredible people the way we can forget who God is, forget all about his power, forget his answers to prayer and here they were just frantically straining at the oars. The wind was dead against them. They were desperate. And Jesus saw them straining at the oars. He knew all about the wind being against them. And so in the small hours of the morning, those hours when all of life's molehills turn into mountains, Jesus went towards them, walking on the waters of the lake. And when they saw him, they thought he was a ghost. Well, I guess we can understand that. They weren't used to seeing people walking on water. And they screamed. They were terrified. But Jesus at once spoke quietly to them. I may be speaking to someone today who feels as though he is in an impossible situation, the wind dead against him, toiling, rowing, Storm, darkness, and maybe something doubly terrifying has suddenly appeared on the horizon, like what the disciples saw. They thought it was a ghost. But then the same Lord who walked on the water toward them is coming to you. He speaks quietly to you as he spoke to them. It's all right. It's I myself. Don't be afraid. And he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind dropped. I just had occasion this morning to write to a friend of mine who has had a very horrible piece of news in the family. Someone who went in for a minor operation has ended up paralyzed and speechless as a result of that operation. And although I've never been in a situation like that, I do know the one who knows all about it, And so I tried, in my letter, to point back to him who got into the boat with them, with those terrified disciples. And I simply reminded her that no boat can sink if Jesus is in it. It's all right, he says. It's I myself. Don't be afraid. Are you not making any headway today? It may very well be that you can put yourself in the place of Jesus, He was up in the hills praying, and the need of somebody else called him away from what he was doing. There may be somebody who needs you today, even though you feel as though you have nothing to offer. If you're in communion with the same Father with whom Jesus was in communion, with God the Father, you can respond to that person's need instead of being exasperated, or unwilling, to leave that which you love to do. Jesus surely must have loved more than anything else to commune with his Father. He was not exasperated. He was not unwilling. He left his hillside, went out into the middle of the lake on that stormy night in order to help the disciples. Love forgets itself. I'm not suggesting that either you or I can possibly go out walking on water to help somebody in trouble, but it may be that God is calling us to leave whatever it is that we're doing and help somebody else. Does it seem an interruption? Does it seem an obstacle to what you wanted to accomplish today? Does it seem a distraction? Do it for Him. Forget yourself and meet that person's need. When we are in the midst of emotional temptations, doubts, worries, disillusionment, Jesus comes to us. Having had that experience of Jesus coming to me, I know that there are times when it is my duty to go to someone else, someone who perhaps is straining at the oars, and to bring them God's peace. As St. Francis prayed, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Have you forgotten that maybe God wants to make you an instrument of his peace? That reassuring pressure steadies us. It's all right. It's I myself. Don't be afraid. Walk with me to that boat, Jesus may be saying. Go to that person in need. Do you feel you have nothing to say? I'll give you the words. Do you feel that it would be presumptuous for you to try to comfort that person? Just remember that Christ lives in you. You take him to that person. As I was reading this chapter of Mark 6 for my own comfort, I remembered a missionary that I hadn't written to for some time probably hadn't even prayed for her that day. Her last letter had indicated that she, too, was straining at the oars, that the wind was against her. And so I sat down and I wrote a letter to that missionary. Not very much, not a very big thing to do, but perhaps with the help of God, it would be God's word to her. Was my time lost by leaving what I was doing to write that letter? Was my energy wasted? I don't think so. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read this, Let nothing move you as you busy yourselves in the Lord's work. Be sure that nothing you do for him is ever lost or wasted. If you pass on the encouragement that God has given to you, tell about the times when he has come into your boat and said, It's I, don't be afraid. If you will pass on that encouragement, you will be God's instrument of peace.
0: Gateway to Joy 118, that's called Things Lost or Wasted. Well, our final guest for today, Johnny Erickson Tata, has some thoughts on the death of her friend Elizabeth Elliott. She'll talk about hymns and about the gospel.
3: When the news of Elizabeth Elliott's homegoing broke, Most people felt a twinge, then they inhaled deeply and breathed a great sigh of relief that she was finally free of her broken, earthen vessel. Others, like my friend Nancy Lee DeMoss, on whom I believe Elizabeth's mantle and message to women has now fallen, others wept, wept openly. And so they should, because a significant member of the church militant had just been translated into the church triumphant. But some people, I don't know how many, but certainly I did, some people sang. When I heard of her home going, I sang. I sang a hymn that I had been reserving for that poignant moment when I would hear that she had passed into glory. And I am no trained vocalist, but... For this dear saint, who from her labors rest, who thee by faith before the world confessed, thy name, O Jesus, be forever blessed. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Christ was her rock her fortress and her might Christ was her captain in the well-fought fight through darkness drear he was her one true light Hallelujah sing it Hallelujah and when her fight was fierce, the warfare long, steeled on her ear the distant triumph song, and her heart was brave again, and her arms were strong. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Oh, blessed communion, fellowship divine. We feebly struggle, but she in glory shines. Yet all are one in thee, and all are thine. Hallelujah, hallelujah. From earth's far realms, from ocean's farthest coast, stream through the gates of the heavenly host, singing to the Father, Son, and to the Holy Ghost, hallelujah, hallelujah. If you do not know the Savior that Elizabeth Elliot loved so well, if you do not know his tender mercies and sweetness of grace, If you have not experienced the washing away by Christ's blood of your sin, now is your time. Now is the moment to lay down that burden at his feet, because the forgiveness of Jesus is so utterly costly and prized and precious. So embrace him and own him as Lord and deliverer. Try very hard not to complain knowing how high the heavenly stakes really are. For as Elizabeth would say, eternity is just too precious, too costly to risk. Do this and together we shall walk. I will walk, I will walk together with you through gates of splendor.
0: Ministry leader, artist, singer, and friend of Elizabeth, Johnny Erickson Tata. Well, it looks as though we're just about at the end of today's time together. Let me thank you for letting us come into your home, your office, wherever you happen to be today. And we invite you back again next time. On behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out all the resources available at elizabethelliot.org. elizabethelliot.org And until next time, may God remind you daily that you're loved with an everlasting love and underneath are the everlasting arms.